All right. Well, we've been in a series called Revive. We've been talking about what it looks like to be a church and individuals who are revival fit. What does it look like to, to know how to recognize and capitalize on the move of the Holy Spirit? This week is part eight of this series, and this will be the final message in uh, this series. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Emily, my wife, she preached a message uh, called The Anointed Church. So that was part seven of this series. And I just want to say, if you missed that, as I'm sure many of you did, we were, we were here doing it live and power went out twice while we were here. Um, you know, Saturday night, it seemed like the storm's a bust. Like, we shouldn't have, like, canceled service, you know. And then Sunday morning, I'm like, okay, we made the right choice, you know. <laughs> so we got here. Russell got here in his two-wheel drive truck, actually. And got things, you know, people get here really early to make everything happen on Sunday mornings. Um, so power went out twice. If you missed that, um, missed that message, you can go back online and you can listen to um, Emily's message. Um, she worked hard on it, and I want to make sure she gets the proper mileage out of it. It was a good message. Okay. Uh, the title of this final message in our series today is called Kingdom Acceleration. One of, the, one of the ways you could define revival is that the kingdom of God is accelerated. The will of God, the plan of God is accelerated. I love that the disciples asked Jesus this question. I'm thankful for a lot of the questions that people ask Jesus in the Bible. Even people who were like trying to trap Jesus. Like, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, you know? They're trying to trap him, but I'm glad they asked the question still because we learned a lot from it, right? But the disciples, they asked Jesus this question, uh, or they said this, uh, Lord, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And, and Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. And so um, I'm going to read this Lord's Prayer in the New King James Version. Um, and why don't we all say this out loud? Um, in fact, let's do this. In honor of God's Word, let's all stand. I'm going to make you guys move a little today. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer together um, in the King James, New King James Version. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray this. Ready? Uh, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm thankful for that prayer because Jesus gives us insight on how to pray. I want to hone in on verse 10. He says that we should ask for his kingdom to be made manifest here on earth. And what does that look like? It looks like his will being done here on earth. I just want to say this. If, if, you, if you don't see it in heaven, you have reason to question whether it is really God's will here on earth. Let me give you an example. Is there depression in heaven? So is it God's will to have depression on earth? Is there sickness in heaven? So is it God's will to have sickness on earth? Is there poverty in heaven? Is there lack in heaven? Is there insecurity in heaven? Is there comparison in heaven? Let me ask you this. Is there worship in heaven? Come on. We're making, we're making the earth a little more like heaven every time we worship God together. Is there unity in heaven? Yes. When we come together in unity, that's God's will. That's his plan. Is there peace in heaven? Is there forgiveness in heaven? Yes. Amen. If you don't see it in heaven, you have reason to question whether it's God's will here 
on earth. This is so key that we get to pray this way. He says, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to just give two massive implications of this. I want to propose to you that Jesus did not just give us this prayer as a busy prayer to keep us busy. Well, they need something to do before I come back. So let's give them this routine to go over, this, this busy prayer. Listen, Jesus didn't give us this prayer to keep us busy, okay? He gave us this prayer as a strategy to release heaven to earth to change this atmosphere, amen, through you and me. He was looking to have partners here on earth. He's looking for individuals who would partner with heaven and release heaven here on earth. That's your assignment, one of your assignments. The other massive implication of this is if we do not pray in this manner, and praying in this manner does not necessarily mean quote the Lord's Prayer. It means pray in this way to release God's kingdom on earth. If we don't pray in this way, the implication, the other automatic implication is if we don't partner with God in this way, that what he wants to do through you and me will be limited. Is it possible to limit God's will? Well, if we don't partner with heaven and partner with what he wants to do through us, I would say yes. We want to partner with God. God is looking, Jesus is looking for a bride here on earth. The church is the bride of Christ who will partner with his will and release his will here on earth. The interesting question that you and I face is that how deep can this go? Why would he give us a prayer that he doesn't want us, that he doesn't want to answer? Now, here's the tension of our lives. We also know that not all, not all things will be perfected in their entirety until Jesus returns to rule and reign on this planet. So there is a tension that we have in, in the middle. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. You know, Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. So we have the kingdom now and we have the kingdom not yet. Right? You've ever heard that phrase before? We release the kingdom now. God's kingdom is being made manifest now. When we worship, when we come together, when people get healed, when people get saved, right? When depression leaves, God's will, the kingdom, is being manifest here on earth as it is in heaven. It's, we, we made it a little more like heaven. But we also know that there's this tension that this world will not be perfected until Jesus comes to rule and reign. Rule and reign. Rule and reign. Is there any Waynes out there? That was a good, good place for a drink of water and to open this one. I have one less hand today because I don't have the headset mic on. <clears throat> it's the dignity of our lives to walk with God and to see how deep this partnership can go. That's the dignity of our existence, to walk with God and to see how deep the partnership can actually go. How much of this place, of this world, can we make like heaven? What is revival? I want to give you a definition. There are many definitions of what someone might characterize revival as. But here's the definition of revival. It's a season of breakthroughs. A season of breakthroughs. Uh, The Bible at times talks about revival as a season of refreshing. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. To hasten the day of the Lord, right? A season where the kingdom of God and the will of God is fast-tracked. Okay, revival could be defined as Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, happening, being fast-tracked. <clears throat> I want to give you this last message uh, with a bit of a, a caution, though. 
Okay, so we've talked about revival for the last eight weeks. We've talked about prophecy. We've talked about what revival looks like, and there's certainly so much more on the subject that we could talk about. But I want to end this series with kind of a caution. Here's, here's the caution. <clears throat> Just because you are in, remember the first, first message of this, I talked about Kronos time and Kairos moments, those God-ordained moments. And I want to say just because you're in a Kairos moment does not mean that everything is going to be easy and magical. Okay, we're still in a war and there's still a tension of, of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are wrestling. <clears throat> you know, if you had, um, if you, had a, you know, magnets, two magnets that were, you know, very powerful and you took, you took them and, and held them together... If one of them is facing the opposite direction and you brought your hand down, the other one would have to flip around like the magnetic forces would align and it would flip that magnet around. Listen, that's what it's like when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. This world is off. This world needs recalibration. That one does not. That kingdom does not re- need recalibration. This one does. So when the kingdom comes near, this one shakes. This one moves, right? So just because you're in a Kairos moment, a God-ordained moment, does not mean it's like, oh, everything's magical now. No, like the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force, okay? And so, in fact, not only is the Kairos moment, those God-ordained moments, not only uh, can they be filled with problems and, and tumultuous, it's, they, they probably will be because things are changing. God is moving things. Okay, sometimes I believe Christians romanticize revival and romanticize Kairos moments because they think, oh, then all of our problems will be gone. Uh, I've heard this prophesied many times by by many people who I respect, that that many people believe there will be a billion-soul youth harvest, um, youth revival um, at at the end of the ages. I believe that, but that doesn't mean if there's a billion people coming into the kingdom of God and God moving in such amazing ways that there won't be massive opposition at the same time, okay? Let me just illustrate to you how you can be in revival, but things aren't always perfect. Things aren't always easy, okay? I'm just going to illustrate this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts had constant activity of the Holy Spirit happening through it, constant revival, sustained season of breakthroughs, okay? But did that mean all of the problems were gone? No. Uh, they had more problems than you and me, right? Okay, sometimes I hear Christians say, like, I wish we could just go, I wish we could just be like the book of Acts. I wish we could be like the book of Acts, the early church. Then everything would be magical, okay? Have you read the book of Acts? Okay. Have you read the book of Acts? The early church? I wish we were like the early church. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. There was a trial and triumph, and right? Triumph and trouble and the persecution, all these things were happening at the same time as the move of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Um, Acts chapter 1, um, they have leadership problems. There's massive leadership transition happening in Acts 1. Acts chapter 2, they're being made fun of as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're like, these people are drunk. Go home, Peter, you're drunk. Peter's like, no, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. We haven't had a drink yet, right? They're being made fun of, ridiculed because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm just going to say that. Sometimes the Spirit's intoxicating people, all right? Acts chapter 3, there's a man begging at the gate. Peter and John, look at him. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. Now, 
the cool part of that story is the guy got healed. He stood up and walked. But if you, if you read between the lines in that verse, they said silver and gold they do not have. What does that mean? They was broke. <laughs> Apparently, the early church had some money problems. Ever had some money problems? I've had money problems before. Acts chapter 4. Because of that man getting healed, they preached so good that they got to sleep in jail. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. They're lying and they died because of it. How many people would come to church if you told them that story? Hey, God is moving in such amazing ways at our church. It's so awesome. You need to come. Oh, some people are dying. So careful about the lying thing, okay? Some people are being taken out in body bags, okay? But we're in revival, okay? Would you sign up for that church? Okay. Acts chapter 6, there's murmuring and complaining. Look at this, Acts 6, verse 1. But as the believers were rapidly multiplying. Okay, let me translate that for you. They were in revival. Believers uh, rapidly multiplying, that's revival. Okay, as at the same time, believers were rapidly uh, multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Okay, believers are multiplying. This is revival. But at the same time of revival, people are murmuring and complaining. They're full, in full-fledged revival here. And they have, you know, rumblings, complainings. Listen, just because you're in revival and it's a Kairos moment doesn't mean people still don't have issues and complain about things. And there aren't problems to solve. Amen? Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen preaches this killer message. So killer that they killed him for it, right? Anyone want to sign up for that one? <laughs> Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer sees that people are receiving the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Instead of him saying, God, come fill me up, he says, how much can I buy that for? Why? Because he wanted to manipulate people. He wanted the gift of the Holy Spirit to manipulate people with. So you find corruption trying to seep its way into the early church. Acts chapter 9, you have the Apostle Paul radically converted on the road to Damascus. Instead of the church rejoicing, many of them are like, no. The same blood that cleansed me can't cleanse that guy. Because in a few chapters before, he was standing there when Peter was stoned. No, that's that's going too far. So really, you have legalism creeping its way into the early church. You have a judgmental church, and it's barely begun. You're a few chapters into the book of Acts, and you have a judgmental church. Ever been part of those? Maybe, maybe we've been that church before. I don't know. It's possible. Acts chapter 10, Jesus tells Peter, the resurrected Jesus tells Peter to go preach to Cornelius. Peter says, hey, I don't associate with those types of people. So literally... You have segregation happening in the first century church. I wish we could go back to the book of Acts. Really? Well, there was segregation. They were struggling with these issues. They were wrestling over these issues. Okay, Acts chapter 11, Peter wises up, does what Jesus tells him to do. He preaches to Cornelius and to the other Gentiles. And the church celebrates by calling Peter into the principal's office. Okay, Acts 11, 1 and 2, the apostles... And the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. 
Think about this. Gentiles are getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me translate that for you. They're in revival. Okay? Gentiles being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. They're in revival. How is Peter rewarded for being the instrument of revival? They criticized him for it. Okay? Let me say this. Just because a move of God has critics does not mean that it's not genuine. In fact, I would say the opposite is probably true. If you're in a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be critics. When God is really moving, there's going to be critics of that move. Guaranteed. Here's what we find. We find a church that has every single problem that churches have today. Okay, Many people want to go back to the book of Acts. It's like, I love the book of Acts. I, I want to see some of what they saw. But they had problems too. Don't over-romanticize it. Okay, And this, by the way, was the church who was led by eyewitnesses of Jesus himself. This was like the O-T, the original 12. <laughs> Minus Judas, so the O-E, the O-11. Oh, original 11, okay? This church was read, um, led by the original 11 apostles... And still they have many, many problems, okay? We're not even halfway through the book of Acts. Not even halfway through the book of Acts, and you could highlight problem after problem after problem. Okay? Pastor Craig, I wish we could go back to the book of Acts. Okay? You know, most of them died. Most of the leaders in that movement died. All right? We're pretty lucky to be where we're at today, okay? The persecution, yes, there's persecution of the church. Yes, it's increasing. Yes, I'm concerned about... Some of our rights being threatened. But listen, it's still not this bad. It's not as bad as what they were facing, okay? They were coming against so much more opposition, okay? If you read on, you have more quarreling, more money problems, more imprisonment, and God forbid, doctrinal disputes. Doctrinal disputes. They wrestled over theology. They wrestled over doctrine. They had councils to talk about what the will of God is, what doctrine is, okay? Um, As I was studying for this message... Um, this week, I learned something that I didn't know before. Uh, how many know, um, in 1995, there was a revival happening in Pensacola, Florida, called the Brownsville Revival? Okay. Uh, big revival in the Pentecostal movement, and um, it lasted for about five years. Okay. I didn't know this, but at the same time, 1995, there was another revival happening in Brownwood, Texas. So you have Brownsville Revival and Brownwood, Texas, both experiencing revival. You know what the difference was? The major difference between these two revivals? One of them was in the Pentecostal denomination. The other one was in the Baptist denomination. Baptists were in revival in 1995. It totally shook their whole denomination. And they, uh, many, many people, many, many believers got saved through that. As did in the Pensacola revival. Many, many believers came to faith through both of those revivals happening the same year. And two completely separate denominations. Listen, Pentecostals and Baptists, they don't agree on a lot of stuff, right? Thankfully, they agree on the most important thing of all, but they disagree on a lot of stuff. They agree on the lordship of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the most important stuff, but they disagree on a lot of scriptures. Listen, it's okay that the church down the street I have friends in this city, pastors in the city. It's okay that we have friends that disagree with us a little bit on scriptures. It doesn't disqualify them from God using them. Okay? Here's my point. God was moving in both of those denominations. 
Let me give you another example, okay? Um, in the mid-1700s, this was the first major revival to happen in the United States, or it wasn't the United States at the time, but in the Americas. In the 1700s, there was what was called the Great Awakening, the first major revival in this region. We're still a British colony at that point. John and Charles Wesley, the Wesleyan brothers, um, were major players in that movement. They, they founded the Methodist, uh, the Methodist Church. Um, by the way, the Nazarene Church was an offshoot of the Methodists. This building that we're sitting in right now was built by the Nazarene Church in 1979. So this building, the, the leadership of the Nazarene Church, can trace its roots back to the Methodist movement. It's very interesting. At the same time of John Charles Wesley preaching in the mid-1700s, George Whitfield, he's the great traveling evangelist, was preaching at the same time. The Wesley brothers and Whitfield sharply disagreed about the doctrine of predestination versus the doctrine of free will. They sharply disagreed about that. But here we have God using both of them. In other words, if you're a predestination person, God can use you. If you're a free will person, God can use you. That doesn't disqualify you from being part of a move of God. God was using them both. Um, George Whitfield also had like, he was also cross-eyed. So apparently you can have problems going on in your life and God can still use you. How many are glad for that? Okay, so here's my point. Having perfect doctrine does, that, does not mean that you will have a move of God. And not having perfect doctrine does not mean that God can't use that group of people. All right? What I'm trying to say is I want to warn us that just because there's a move of God doesn't mean everything is perfect. It's still a contention. It's still a fight. There's still things going on beneath the surface. So that's important for us because if you're waiting for the stars to align for God to use you, if you're waiting for this perfect situation for God to use you, you, you can miss out on what God is doing in the present. God is doing stuff in the present. And if you're waiting for just the right perfect scenario to get involved or to take a risk to step out, you might be missing what God wants to do. Um, in my own life, let me give you a couple examples of this. In my own life, um, <clears throat> many times the breakthroughs I have seen have come as a time where I didn't feel anointed at all. I didn't feel anointed. I didn't feel bold. Can you guys testify to this? Where you're like, I've, I feel like I got nothing, but I pray for this person, and boom, something happens. I'll give you an example. Is when, um, when I was a college pastor, we had a girl in our ministry who was suffering with really bad food allergies. And I remember we were at a prayer meeting. She wants prayer for this. And I remember that day, I am exhausted. I feel really tired. I'm just barely at this meeting. And we pray for this girl. She goes and eats some food, which I'm not recommending that, by the way. Go eat the foods that we prayed for you for. Um, but she goes and eats, tries the foods that she couldn't eat before, and God healed her in that meeting. Listen, I didn't feel anointed. I felt exhausted, okay? God will still use you when you're tired. Come on. Okay? I didn't feel anointed. I felt nothing. But God healed her. I'll give you another example. When I was in my young 20s, um, I used to hang out with the boys a lot, and we'd play video games. Right? You guys play video games. What do they play these days? Fortnite. No? What do they play? What is it? Apex. Apex. All right. That's what the kids are doing these days. 
Well, back in my day, we played Halo, all right? That was the game. And so I'm hanging out with the boys. We're playing Halo. Used to play this with Ben sometimes or whatever. And I had, I had yeah, it's been a while. Um, actually, I still play sometimes. But um, so we're there, and I have a friend, friend of mine who, he starts having like this really bad acid reflux. And he's like, like burping and hiccuping, and he can't stop. And he just stops. He's like, can you guys pray for me? And I remember, like, me and this other guy, I'm like, I, I don't know, like, maybe this is the most carnal, like, I ever feel is when I'm playing video games. But, yeah, well, sure, we'll pray for you. I feel nothing. I feel no anointing. Like, do we need to get warmed up and read a few scriptures and do a few spiritual stretches first? So I'm like, yeah, we'll pray for you. We laid hands on him, prayed for him, and God instantly, like, stopped that acid reflux. He stopped burping and hiccuping immediately. Okay, here's my point. It, it's really not dependent on you anyway. I mean, thank God for when you get up and just feel the oracle of the Lord and <laughs> bold and all that. But it's really not dependent on you anyway. He, will, he needs a vessel. He's looking for a vessel to use, okay? So when you're tired, let God use you. When you're hormonal, let God use you, okay? God can use you if you're hormonal, Amen? That doesn't disqualify you from stepping out and being used by God. Come on, ladies. Guys can be hormonal too, but I am, but I am, you know, every day, right? <laughs> yeah. God can use you. Just because the, the stars aren't aligned and the situation isn't perfect, listen, take a risk anyway. Take a risk anyway. You might ask this question, what if God doesn't do nothing? What if, God, what if nothing happens? That's the question a lot of people say. What if nothing happens? Then nothing happens. But you took a risk. But let me ask you this, what if something does happen? And I'm just telling you from personal experience, many times when I've stepped out, I felt zero, like normal anointing. I was like in the negative. And then God still answered. It's just like God to do that, by the way. Okay. I'll conclude with this. Proverbs 14, verse 4 says this. I'm going to read the first part of the verse. It says this. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. Okay, without oxen, the stable is nice and clean. If you read just the first part of that verse, you might conclude that oxen are bad because they make a mess. Right? But let's read the other part of the verse. Without oxen, the stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Okay? What's worse than a messy stable? A clean stable with no harvest. Okay? Okay, revival can be messy at times. Oxen come with messes, but they also bring great strength. Okay? Revivals come with messes. They come with problems. They come with disputes. They come with stigma. They come with controversy. But revivals are full of life. They're full of life. Amen? And guess what? Life is messy. Life is messy. People are messy. All right? Um, go ahead and put up that picture. All right? The trap of the clean stall. The stall is clean, but you're doing it by yourself. All right? When the stall is messy, those of you who have animals that do work, you still have that animal to help you. Amen? Can I get a witness? All right. Let me give you another illustration. Um, when our... When my first daughter, my wife's pregnant with our first daughter. How many remember the first time you set up the baby room? Your wife's pregnant. 
You're setting up the baby room. The crib's new. Changing table. Everything's it's just beautiful, right? Everything looks great. Life is great. We're prepared for this baby. Everything's great. Anyone, is anyone in that stage right now where you're pregnant and you're setting up a room? Anyone there? Okay. All right, I don't see anyone. But by the way, after the first kid, the next kid gets all the junk that was left over. It's not as nice anymore. But anyway, <clears throat> the room is perfect. It's quiet. But then the baby's born. And then it's messy. And it's loud. And it's distracting. And you're tired. Right? <clears throat> Why do people have babies? Because they, they're messy. They're distracting. Right? Why do people have babies? Because they want a family. Right? Families are messy. Families make messes. Right? Um, I, have a, I have a family member. I won't, I won't say them. I don't think they're watching. Because I don't want to disgrace them or whatever. But I have a family member... And the feeling you get is that the house is more important than the people living in the house. I like to keep a clean house, but listen, houses are for living in, right? The house is made for the family, not the family for the house. And so we don't want to be so crazy about it. Listen, families are messies, are, are messy. Um, life is messy. Revival is messy, okay? Um, when I was 15 years old, I have a, I have a younger half-sister, and when my mom had her, um, one day my mom's like, hey, go check on your, go check on your sister. She's up in the room, go check on her. And my mom already knew the situation I was walking into, but I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I go into her, the room, she's a baby, and her diaper's off. She had used her diaper, and now was playing with stuff that's in the diaper. Ever been there? So I took one look at that. I turned around and I left the house. I just, I just walked out. I'm not dealing with this. Not my problem. I literally just left. Just walked away. <laughs> okay. Life is messy. Families are messy. New believers are immature. Some of the old ones are immature too. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know if you guys realize this, but last year we were, we didn't have church in-person services for 12 weeks because we were trying to do our part, you know. So we didn't have in-person services for 12 weeks. And then last week we didn't have in-person services because of the snowstorm. And I was kind of reminded me of that season when we didn't have people in the room and we're just, you know, preaching to the microphone every week. And you know, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that church is easier without you guys here. <laughs> It is. Wouldn't you say? It's actually easier with you guys not here. But that's not the point, is it? The point is, is to connect and to encourage and to build and to strengthen and have relationship with one another and to, and to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. That's the point, isn't it? Okay. Relationships are messy. Revival is messy. A harvest is messy, but it far outweighs the alternative. It far outweighs the alternative, okay? So I don't know what maybe sanitized view of revival you might have, 
But when God is on the move, it's likely to be a little bit messy. It's likely to get a little bit distracting. But we don't want to overcomplicate it. We don't want to overcomplicate it. Amen? We want to embrace that. So listen, whether it's here at church, out in the world, God wants to use you. You're on call. You're on call. You're on deck. You're ready to go. Amen? When you're tired, when you're hormonal, when you don't feel anointed, listen, God wants to use you. Be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He will use you. He will guide us. Now listen, I'll give a disclaimer. When you're in revival, sometimes weird things do happen. And we'll guide through that and we'll lead through that. And just, you got to roll with us, okay? Amen. Okay? Um, I remember early on, early on in the church, um, Rick Hood, who's one of our, one of our, on our pastoral staff, is our men's pastor and also on our board. He was sitting on the second row. And I don't know what happened during service. He, he jumped over the chairs and started running and shouting. And now I'm thinking to myself, new, new people are probably freaking out a little bit right now. But I also knew that at that time, his wife was going through chemotherapy and he needed a breakthrough. He needed a touch from the Lord. And sometimes you don't, you don't know what someone's going through and that what they need at that moment. Now listen, we're not gonna like have a chaos. You know, we wanna have worship services decently in order. Okay, so there might be correction from time to time up here about things that God is doing or not doing. Sometimes it is distracting or it's just a person. But listen, we wanna be open to the move of the Holy Spirit, amen? Awesome, why don't you guys stand on your feet? You closing, Greg? I'm gonna pray. So Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your bride, Lord. God, that you have, you've called us to action, Lord God. You've called us to bring heaven to earth. Let your kingdom come, let your will be on, on earth as it is in heaven. I just pray that every person here, if you hear anything I said today, hear this, you are a conduit for God. God wants to use you. And you don't have to be perfect. The stars don't have to be aligned. You don't have to feel anointed. God wants to use you. So I just bless every person. I just pray for that confidence to rise up, Lord. I pray that you would use us mightily. We love you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the move. We thank you for life, Lord. We thank you for life. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said...